0: Welcome to Innovation Mixtape, a custom series produced for Omer's Pensions by Now or Never Ventures. We believe that changing a company from the outside is hard. That's why we have found a collection of gurus, pioneers, and creatives to help us explore market-changing and innovative ideas within pensions, age tech, and building ventures. You'll hear from executives at large organizations such as Standard Life, From some of the most creative agencies in the world, and from leaders who have built game-changing ventures themselves. We hope you enjoy, and most importantly, learn. Today, we are talking to David Judick from Virgin Money. Several years ago, nobody would have thought that Clydesdale Yorkshire Bank would acquire Virgin Money. Clydesdale was an old legacy bank with an aging and rural customer base. They created B, a new digital banking proposition designed around a new, youthful, and more urban demographic. The work on B gave Clydesdale the right to play to acquire one of the more cult-like British brands and merge a transformative product with the Virgin brand. David is the head of retail marketing at Virgin Money and former head of innovation for Clydesdale, where he led the development of B, which went on to become the core experience at the heart of the Virgin Money customer proposition.
1: Yeah, so David, hello. Hello. Um, I'm currently, um, I'm head of marketing in uh, Virgin Money uh, UK. Um, I was previously head of innovation in uh, Clydesdale. And prior to that, I joined about what, it's probably six years ago now, uh, for what I thought was going to be a one or two year stint in the bank. Um, And I hadn't really, I hadn't even, I'd definitely not done innovation before. Um, I joined. Um, I'd done marketing roles before, but actually I'd had a fairly broad uh, banking career. so I uh, worked in RBS in a lots of different divisions from um, audit amazingly. audit and innovation don't normally go together. a um, stint in investment banking, retail banking, strategy, risk, uh, products and marketing. So a, a very very career but throughout throughout, throughout it all, Uh, The thing that always, um, I suppose, got me most passion, uh, got my heckles raised most was was good customer service, good experiences, um, great brand stories, things that made people smile, really. Um, And not surprisingly, when I was at RBS, there were few and far between because we were going through the banking crash. And When I joined Clydesdale, um, there was lots of opportunity to really make a difference because Clydesdale Bank at that point, um, you know, In the UK, it was it was two banks really, Clydesdale Bank and Yorkshire Bank, um, 150 and 175 years old, very stuffy organizations. Uh, kind of survived the banking crash because it was so slow at doing everything. So because it was so far behind the curve, it never got caught out with any of the fancy things that then maybe caught out some of the other banks. Um, and it was also part of the National Australia Group. Um, so National Australia bought it back in 1985, and the challenge of that was uh, National Australia had chronically underinvested in um, the underlying capability in the organisation. Um, literally, like it was there. Was, there was no mobile banking app um, just six years ago. Um, there was Berlin online banking presence. Um, hardly any of the accounts talked to each other. Um, it, 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 the propositions were very archaic. It, it, it wasn't a particularly good story. And, and National Australia Group wanted to uh, sell the bank. And the challenge we were facing into is that they realised that, um, that they faced, two um, I suppose, two challenges. One, they either needed to break the bank up and sell it in its constituent kind of uh, product portfolios uh, because the whole entity wasn't really investable Uh, that would be really hard to do, very time-consuming for them, a lot of management overhead, and potentially um, would be value-destroying rather than value-adding. Or the alternate was they needed to turn Clydesdale-Yorkshire into an investable proposition, and the way to do that, they realised they would have to put their hand in their pocket. Um, And so they they suggested around £150 million to invest over three years uh to turn the bank around now what w- just at the point that i joined uh I've, I've gone off haven't i i've already gone into this monologue you're not going to stop me now I've just no, this is good this is I good straight into it keep going uh, so w- w- when i joined um the the challenge was that you you had this quite stuffy bank um which was potentially going to be given 150 million pounds to spend on something fancy when it didn't know what fancy was um it didn't know what £150 million bought you. It didn't know what problem it was trying to solve. And the first place they were, they were going to look is say, what does everybody else do? How can we spend £150 million to close all these gaps to what everyone else does? And you go, well, okay, if your problem is how do we catch up to everybody else, that's maybe okay. But is is that the problem you're trying to solve? Um the problem we had, the big problem, was how do we make ourselves investable? And you don't, investors don't come in and invest in a bank that's behind the curve or five years late to everybody else, but has closed a couple of the gaps. It doesn't invest in um a, in a, a bank whose customers uh, are so like our customer base was so old that the main cause of, of attrition from our bank was people dying. Right, um, so we needed to completely transform not just our technology, but how our own people thought about what the problem even was. Um, Because otherwise we were going to waste £150 million. So luckily I I joined partially because that was the challenge that was put on the table and I thought it could be quite fun to uh, tackle it. Um, There were a couple of people who joined the bank, uh, like within a year or two years of, of me joining, who were there to try and shake it up and transform it and prepared to do things in a slightly different way. And actually, when I joined as well, there were also uh, we'd also taken the decision to work with um, an external innovation, innovation agency, so one that Ian used to work for. Our right? main remit was to, uh, I suppose, to do two things. One was to uh, really, again, shake up our way of thinking and then obviously then help us to land on um, a proposition and to, to counter forward a few months, and then you can feel free to ask me questions about it. How do we do it? Um, one, uh, we made a fairly bold decision to uh, take a very small number of people who generally didn't know very much about the bank and take them out of their day jobs, um, put them in a, different, uh, in a different building completely and set them a challenge. Um, and, and every couple of weeks they would have to do it. We would ha- I was one of them. We would have to showcase what we thought our answer to that problem was. Um the problem, the, 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 uh, the new space that we were given was so different um, that in the first week, job number one was literally wiring it. So we had no Internet access. We had no Wi-Fi. We had a few empty walls and we had a few tables and chairs that had been left over by the previous occupants. We were wiring it. It was it was talk about changing, taking somebody out of banking. I'm going, well, I'm, I'm here to do kind of innovation and product design. No, I'm currently here to wire up because we can't do anything else without it. Very, very liberating and very, very grounding at the same time. And it forged a, a bit of a community, uh, spirit, uh, with the, the the folks that we were then working with it. We were no longer risk people or innovation people or legal people or product people. We were just folks wiring a floor. Um, so that was that that was the fir- that, was, that was the first thing. Second thing was how we started to um I suppose pr- approach the 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 definition of the problem and then the solution. So you'll no doubt be familiar and bored to tears with things like design thinking and agile sprints and um but that's kind of what we did, right? Um we we approached it with that kind of mindset. We brought in a load of um, tools and a load of thinking from uh, Mark Gravity and other consultants. And then quite quickly, we adapted them to the way that we wanted to work. So we didn't stick rigidly to them. Um, some of them I found really quite frustrating. So rather than get frustrated with it, we bin them. Um, and we And we worked out which of the processes not just helped us to have the ideas, but helped us to uh, explain what we were doing to um to our sponsors who weren't there with us every day and again there were there were some wacky processes which worked really really well for us to help us uh, land on ideas and prioritize ideas but when you tried to take our stakeholders through them they were just like their minds were blown um so again we either modified them or we threw them out um, what were
2: some of the things that worked really well with the stakeholders to so interrupt your monologue like yeah, well, i'm thinking you know that like helen's a force of nature
1: yeah um, well um so I'll give, you, I'll give you one that worked really well for me in the project, but didn't work with, well with stakeholders and one that worked brilliantly with the stakeholders. So um, I'll start with the, the, the stakeholder one. We basically had uh, one of the tools was, cracky, um, uh, what, what do we even call it? It was, it was the experience map. So um, we went through, um, first at a high level, a number of key stages of journeys that we wanted customers to go to. Go through fine, 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 fine. You just map them out. Um, the thing that um, for me made it quite powerful was when we started to rate that touch point for how our customers would feel about it. So, what do we do today? Is it, um, w- does a customer hate it? Is it, are they fairly meh about it? Uh, do they like it? Would they become a real advocate of it? And then you got to like the top point of so hero. Uh, would they uh, would they literally go running from the rooftops, and do, run up to the rooftop and shout about this to everybody? Now, if you're in a room with bankers, it's amazing how many of them think that uh, going from this screen to that screen in an application process is a hero journey step. It's like, I don't care how good you make it, no customer is ever going to shout about it in that way. So it was both incredibly powerful to see um genuinely what makes a difference in a journey if you want to design an amazing experience and also make people realize that not every single step of an experience needs to be brilliant it just needs to be good enough with some really brilliant moments but also you cannot afford to have a single value destroying moment so all the good stuff is knackered if you ever dip below the it's 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 fine and it works if you go into it that's hard it's difficult i hate it you've switched the customer off as we went through the design of the journeys like first at high level and then you drill into lots of the different journeys in much more detail mapping that out and been able to demonstrate that to your seniors was a really 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 powerful way of helping them to buy into what you were doing and why we were doing it and also more importantly help them understand why sometimes their ideas weren't actually very good Um, because everyone thinks their ideas are the best but if you can say that's great but actually when you map it out on the experience it's middling at best. Sorry Um, to jump
2: in when you were when you were mapping did you have any constraints that you were given either system capabilities or were did they just say make the best possible experience?
1: uh, A bit of both Uh, I think different stages so um we, I suppose, we were doing proprietary, we were designing and building our own proprietary software. So, initially, uh, we could start with a fairly open mind. Uh, inevitably, though, that software would still be connecting into some back end systems. So, we would, over time, at certain steps of the journey, bring in um, some of those constraints. But equally, we would then challenge this. So, if, if, if a constraint was brought in which took a step of the journey from being neutral to negative, then accepting that it's negative is not the right answer. That gave us a good mechanism to then challenge that constraint. And off the back of that, uh, we ended up going from, I suppose, start, sorry, if you can hear my child singing in the background, that's not going to stop. Um, sometimes that we started off thinking we're going to create this amazing mobile app and, and interface. And what we ended with was a good mobile app, but we also then had a new transaction data store. We had a new risk infrastructure we had, we had, we had. And these were these were things that came about, probably transformative things we knew we always needed in the bank. But if we started off pitching to our, our sponsors in Australia, we need 150 million pounds and we're going to spend it on our risk system. They'd have laughed us out of the room. So anyway, we, we, we did that. So that worked really well. One of the ones that worked really badly uh, but uh, with stakeholders but worked really well for us is we then tried to take that experience map And then add a layer of experience, sorry, of priority over the top of it. So we turned it into a big dartboard and we organized things based on experience quadrants. And I'm already going to lose you now because it starts to get more complicated. And the closer things were to the center of the dartboard, um, the more vigorously we had to fight to make sure we delivered that as a feature or a capability. And the closer it was to the outside of the dartboard, the more willing we were to give it up. And then the reason we'd have it as quadrants is then we'd say um, there's no point having a random smattering of things around your dartboard, what you want groupings of capability. So if you, have, if, you, if you have one great moment for joining the bank and you have one great moment within the app and one great moment on your product, people go, ah, oh, I don't really give a shit, to be honest. Um, whereas if you say, Do you know what, we're going to be really famous for this part of the map, so let's try and hold on to this grouping, um but yeah that that worked really well in the project but trying to explain that to senior stakeholders it just started to blow their mind um but it doesn't mean we abandoned it we just didn't talk about that side of the process with senior stakeholders we just used it in daily stand-ups when we were as part of our scrum teams let me pause for breath and have a have a beer (laughs) so if you fast forward to like what you launched
2: like yeah a just launching a new digital product as a traditional corporate organization is really hard like Alex Jordan know that really really well but like you got to the point where I remember when you launched B and there was like I think there was like a a price you had to pay for B it wasn't free mm-hmm. yeah and then three days later B was free yeah <laughs> that was like a really like to me that's a really bold big thing for a a big like a traditional business to do when launching a new digital product so like yeah, what well, kind of things you, are happening when you launched
1: well do you know what well um very quickly a few things happened before that that enabled that to happen. So, for example, um, we were set, right the way throughout the journey, we were set fairly clear stage gates um, where we need to pass the exam to be given another tranche of funding. So can you connect to the back-end systems by this date in four weeks' time? If you can prove that, we'll give you more money. There you go. We've done it. If you can prove that this amount of customers um, can be connected to the app and use it within this time period, we'll give you the next slug of cash. So we, we had a number of these things and throughout every single one of these stages, you end up with a bit of a decision tree going on. So if we take this route, this will happen. If we take this route, this will happen. And over time through iterative design and feedback from customers, you get to the, the, to the place we got to for day one, which is we launched what we felt was an, an optimal customer proposition. And, um, We we launched with a price point, not because we needed it to make it the financials work, uh, although it was helpful. We launched with a price point because when we spoke to customers, um, we were basically being told uh, that the for the amount of value that we were giving them, if we didn't charge something for it, they would not believe that we were that, that it was real. So we thought, okay, we need to put some money there so that they think it's a real service. But if you make it too expensive, then uh, they won't buy it. So we got to this price point of just two pounds a month, and we were going to defer it for twelve months. And we launched them with we optimum position. This is fantastic. It's going to work brilliantly. And we put loads of money behind the advertising. And yeah, as as Ian says, we um, we got so much traffic and so much interest. It was it was amazing and we saw very quickly that customers dropped off as soon as they saw the price point. And um, there were several parts to that. One, um, they didn't really care that it was free for 12 months. Um, they, that, that was too complex for them. So it, the fact they didn't have to pay for the first 12 months made no difference to saw, So I'm going to have to spend money. Two, um, our legal and risk colleagues uh, their interpretation of the risk environment in the UK and the regulation in the UK meant that we had to make that price point really, really, really prominent. So it became quite scary. Uh, so even if, in all, and in the testing, it was never positioned as being scary. Um, and so we we um, used that as a mechanism. We We got our commercial colleagues and our risk colleagues into a room and we shared the data points and we shared what customers thought about it. And we said, we've got two choices here if we want to get customers onto this proposition while we are spending lots of money on advertising, uh, one, we lose the fee. And if you don't, you're going to end up with no customers. And we spent 5 million, 6 million, 10 million pounds, whatever in advertising. Or two, we completely reinterpret our risk environment. And um, the decision was taken very quickly that we wouldn't be able to solve our risk appetite within a two week window, but we could damn well remove the price. So we just removed the price. Um, And the the power, honestly, was um, we were basically holding the businesses feet to the fire at that point. We were spending money that they were committed to, but we had the data and we had choices to back up um, the options that we were presenting. And we went in and we were very confident. And it wasn't um, it wasn't our stakeholders in front of our board talking about it. It was us. It was me. It was folks I've been working on. Uh, And. We were doing that because over the previous 18 months, we've built the confidence that we, whether we did know what we were talking about or not, um, we built the confidence that we knew what we were talking about, which is pretty powerful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I remember, like, I still remember being, I was in Canada at the time, but I remember, like, reading a thing about B launching, I think it was in the Daily Mail, and it was, like, three paragraphs of, this is a brilliant product. And in the last line... Don't get it because it costs two quid a month.
1: Mm. Exactly, and I think, um, Jerry, it's, th- th- there's there's loads of things. There's loads of missteps that we made um, when we launched B. Um, the name was quite difficult to search um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, online, so you went. So we ended up with loads of variants of the name. Uh, so uh, the URL would be umb.co.uk or um, with it on, on social on social it would be hello b and it'd be so you're trying to land the brand but then you've got all these different variants before you've landed it so we we made mistakes and we didn't there were some that we didn't correct there was some that we did um we always said when we went live uh that the attitude in the bank had always been um you deliver a project and it's agile delivery and it's great and the the great thing about agile delivery is Taking the product to market is just us getting to the start line, and then we'll have constant iterations of it to uh, add more services and remove services that aren't working. Bollocks! Uh, <laughs> that 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 proved not to be true, and there's there's reasons for that, right? We had key personnel changes after we launched. Like we had a different technology officer came in, we had a different CEO came in, and they had different priorities. But what what happened is suddenly you had this successful thing have been launched. You had lots of people grabbing to looking to grab it to say that it's theirs. And this whole approach, this whole ethos that we've had over the previous 18 months started to dissipate and and vanish. And suddenly it became, over the next few years it became a tool to strip cost out of the business rather than a tool to which was never its intention. And it became sluggish and we've never removed a single feature from the service. Um, we've only ever added more in. And then you have people in the bank going, well, why is it difficult? Customers don't know any of the stuff that we've got in here. Well, no, because you need a PhD to now understand how to work the thing because you've never removed the things that weren't working. You've never improved the things that customers liked because everyone wants to shine. So there's lots of things that we've learned. And I think if there was one thing I'd have done in retrospect, I would have fought really, really, really hard for it to have been stood up as a completely... Not a separate legal entity, but a separate um, a separate bank and a separate brand in its own right, whereas what we did we wanted we, because we wanted it to also transform the culture as well as transform the organization, we kind of pushed all the people who'd worked to get it to where it was. we pushed them back into their departments to try and change their thinking and all that happened is we lost focus and you know, um we had amazing momentum when we started. We've still it, it's still been fabulous since and we'll go into some of that in a moment, but it could have been, it could have done for Clydesdale what um what Monzo, what's become Monzo, like Monzo's at four million customers now, and even now Monzo has far fewer capabilities than than B has or or the Virgin Money app as it now is has, but it's really easy to navigate and it's really single-minded. And it has a small group of people making decisions and living by the consequences of those decisions and reversing those decisions. If they prove to be wrong. Whereas where we got to was we moved from that fast fleet of foot. We put a price in, we reverse that price out really quickly to something that takes 12 months to have a business case, to make a call about whether you make a change and you don't win by doing that. So um, I would absolutely say uh, if there's one mantra to hold on to it's hard it's really hard to get something transformative live it's even bloody harder to protect to protect it and nurture it and and hold on to it and allow it to grow and allow it to breathe that's really hard that's really hard
2: was it kind of overlapping with the legacy bank as soon as it was launched or like Obviously, you launch B, you start getting customers coming into B who are probably you weren't cannibalizing the existing customer base of the bank because you were targeting a different customer segment. Um, But once it was launched, like obviously you've got a traditional, like the old bank that's 175 years old and has millions of customers. You've got the new bank that is like gathering pace in the tens and into the hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Like how quickly did it end up coming effectively back into the mothership or was it never really that far away from it?
1: Yeah, well, it very I suppose very quickly it went back into the mothership. So pretty much when it launched, um, people who worked on it moved back into the mothership. But then you start—it's all about agile scrums rather than dedicated resource, and it just didn't quite pan out like that. But how things like our sales channels, for example, um, selling it online, we would either you would either land at our traditional website, Clydesdale Banker Bank, can Bank, suddenly see this B branding and think that that that's a bit alien or you go direct to the standalone B service um, which is great but then um, you don't get free traffic going to B because it was too early in its journey you had to put a lot, lot of money behind it so that was only working whilst we could drive traffic to it so suddenly you have the bean counters in the organization starting to say okay well you know it's cheaper to get the traffic by taking it from Clydesdale Yorkshire but then you've got this brand contamination weird thing going on and then it was sold in our stores, but the stores were Clydesdale Bank and Yorkshire Bank and the people who worked in our stores um, were traditional Clydesdale Bank and Yorkshire Bank people. Um, so We set up a brand new contact team to support. So we, we didn't have the perfect joining journey. Um, we took a few shortcuts. We did that knowingly, but we, but we set up a special contact team to help support customers through it. And so we recruited people who weren't bankers. We auditioned them rather than interviewed them. So we genuinely took them to a theatre and auditioned them on stage. The point being that whenever you speak to a customer, you're putting on a performance. We don't care what mood you're in. We don't care what you're talking about. You, you've, got a, you've got a script and you need to sing it. Uh, so we auditioned them. And that was amazing. But ultimately, that, that, that juxtaposition of that experience in, say, the B app and the B website and the B contact center with a Clydesdale bank store and a Clydesdale bank website and a Clydesdale bank contact person. Oh, it was, it was, it was challenging. And it, and it, it's taken a hell of a long time to start to transform, transform that, um, that beast that was Clydesdale, um or Yorkshire.
2: So then you went into this, like at that point then you started to acquire customers you did some really interesting things with like Studio B, like building sort of the flagship branch, and yeah. like you had the sort of—I don't actually know what the proper title was. Like NMG, we always called them the Labradors because like they were really eager young people, just like <laughs> chasing like shiny things. Uh, um, so it was like that was kind of a bit interesting. Then there's like things like B Works and doing things for small businesses, yeah. and actually like add, went on to add features, um, and then suddenly you buy Virgin Money, so like. I think when Alex and I were over with you guys in Glasgow three and a bit years ago now, um, we went and saw 10X, if I remember Mm -hmm. rightly, and 10X at the time were effectively doing a load of stuff because they were going to be like Virgin's new core platform. And then fast forward a few years. Yes, I'll tell you a bit
1: of the story of that. So, I mean, certainly despite the negativity that I've, I've positioned about um, how hard it was once B went live and we were still desperate to try and keep the spirit alive and breathe, constantly breathing your life into it. So things like um, Studio B in London, um, that was our version of a lab, right? Every, every bank in the world is coming up with an innovation lab and populating it with bankers who would ask a banking question and come up with really banky answers but they would really feel really really cool doing it because you know they didn't have to wear a suit um so our our response to that was to take a store like a, a take a bank branch and um put a lab in the middle of a bank branch on a busy high street um so that uh, any customer could walk in and see what we were doing and could contribute to both the problem and the solution. Um, we had one rule in the lab and that was no bankers were allowed. So um, we had a facilitator. So we worked with a couple of different agencies. Like we, we already worked with market gravity for a variety of different things, but we wanted different ideas. So we had a number of different agencies running, facilitating the design thinking element of the lab. Cause guess what? They knew how to do that. And we didn't cause we were a bank. Um, and then we got, yes, Labradors, who were, in effect, they were surrogate customers. So people who didn't know anything about banking, uh, not not cynical yet, because they were generally kind of mid-20s, maybe out of university, um, trying to build their own career, not quite sure what to do yet. Didn't want to work for a bank. Very, very important, because therefore they were willing to voice their opinion, like really vocal, because they weren't trying to get a job at the end of it. Um, and we created some amazing ideas through that process like for me uh, I know it sounds a bit um, I know it sounds a bit self-congratulatory but we but we uh, we innovated innovation I think in that approach we really did something quite different Um, but again we still face challenges because you you come up with you, you do that but then our delivery vehicle behind it couldn't keep up with even a fraction of the pace of the of the ideas that were coming out. And part of the ethos was we would be able to deliver ideas faster than anyone else. So we would we would publish them online and and people could vote on them. And and all that ended up happening is uh Monzo Bank and Starling Bank delivered them all hell a, a hell of a lot faster than we could. So we ended up having to shut down the lab. <laughs> um Anyway, there you go. So, but but this kind of ethos—if you think about that ethos coming from—we were constantly trying to look at how do we use the B brand to have this kind of entrepreneurial spirit, challenge the culture of the organisation as well as challenge customers and challenge the bank. Um, we got to a point where I think well, several things had happened um, by launching B, and B being as successful as it was, and it wasn't. Um, And let's be clear on this, we've never got close to the amount of uh, volume of new customers that Monzo, like uh, Monzo, if you're familiar with them in the UK, that over the last few years, they've got to like 4 million customers. We got to more like 400,000 customers. But the difference was um, our customers were real. Um, So we have, I think at the last look, we had something like 10 to 15 times the amount of money on deposit through our customer base than Monzo had, despite having 10 times less customers. So we have real customers really using the services and really getting value from it and therefore living, giving their value to us, which is what a profitable organization wants, um, rather than volume that's not really delivering any value. Anyway, off the back of that, we uh, built the confidence in the investors and we IPO'd. So we separated from National Australia Group. That is massive. Um, we launched a raft of new things, uh, the likes of Studio B, Reimagining the High Street with Manchester, a place called B-Works. All of that stuff, as well as helping the brand, really, really, really built the confidence of our investors in what we were doing and how we were transforming the organization. And that then meant that we came, when, when we started to look at how we accelerate our expansion... Um, And we looked at Virgin Money and we thought one of the things holding us back as an organization, to be fair, was the B brand, because it took a lot of money to build that brand awareness. I tell you what you don't have to do when you have Virgin Money, you don't have to spend much money building the brand. Um, And very, very complimentary customer base, wasn't very digital. We were now very, very digital. There was a lot of synergies there. Now, if we hadn't done what we did with, with B, Virgin money would have been looking to buy us because of what we did with B we bought Virgin money. And um, actually we could have bought several other organizations as well, because the confidence in it, because of what the investments we've made in the platform, we had proper technology capability. It was proprietary. We demonstrated value. We delivered, 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 delivered every part. Anyway, anyway. So we managed to buy at Virgin money. And as you say, with, with, with 10 X, the, the comparison is once we bought Virgin Money, we saw when they started their journey. They posed the very first problem about how they could become a digital organization roughly the same month that we had posed the problem when I joined Clydesdale Bank. And in that time, 5 I think it was something like five years, they got to the point where they were telling investors they were twelve months away from launching their digital bank, and they'd spent a lot of money in that time, uh, a number of missteps, and a hell of a lot of things which looked fantastic on paper. Like honestly, when we when we bought them and looked at all the cr- brilliant ideas and all the designs they've gone and all the people who worked in it, saying this is going to be amazing in twelve months, and you look at them and you go, guys, in in that time we've uh, we we designed what you're trying to design, we launched it we IPO'd off the back of it, we reimagined the high street, we drove customers into the bank, we, va- we got true value and we bought you and you're still 12 months away from launching. I mean, this tra- it, when you see it in that lens and, and, you, and you think about how down I've just been on where B has been after we launched it, it's quite amazing actually the journey that Clydesdale was on. Um, relative to some of our peers who were also in organisations that were um, a little bit archaic and you wouldn't think of Virgin Money as being archaic.
2: What do you think, is there anything specific that we've maybe not touched on that, like, why is it that Clydesdale could do that? And yeah, I know like Virgin Money, like underneath the surface, actually it's like Northern Rock and there's a whole load of legacy like to yeah. that. But so many companies really struggle to like get anything out the door. And often like, I go back to some of my own experience like before MG worked with you guys it worked with Aegon doing what was retire ready and Aegon launched a version of retire ready as an MVP and then never improved it they were like got it out the door here's this green thing sitting over here away from the blue thing Mm -hmm. but like they launched the new digital products and like kind of then it wasn't shiny anymore they got bored of it and so many big companies do that yeah so what made like Clydesdale the place that Like not only did you do the thing, but you continued doing the thing, and the momentum took you into like a really big opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, again, there's probably a a few a few parts to the answer. So, um, how could we do what we did? I think we had a huge burning platform. I know a lot of consultancies talk about burning platform. We we really had a genuine one, right? We 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 were at risk of being broken up by National Australia Group. So, um, you will place bets in that environment because literally, what have you got to lose? Um, and a lot of organizations won't do that. Two, I think at the time the senior leadership in Clydesdale realized that they were quite stuffy bankers, and they made a couple of uh, I suppose they'd made a couple of key appointments, not everyone's gonna do that, but they then trusted those people. Uh, they trusted the judgment of those people. So um my 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 boss um, Helen, who's our the group brand and marketing Helen Page, group brand and marketing director of a Virgin Money. She was a huge driving force, very vocal, very passionate, but had the absolute backing of um, the board. Uh, and and then the next part to that was um, Helen, against her instincts, I would say, did not operate a command and control structure. She trusted teams of people to get on with solving the problems. Again, she didn't operate this command and control environment. She trusted people to do it. Um, whereas I think what I've discovered in, in the likes to say Virgin Money is they were so, actually so driven by uh, the senior people in the bank that, that they never really trusted anyone else in the organization to go and do the do. So they're constantly second guessing each other and constantly, and that's why I, in 5 or 6 years they never managed to deliver because nobody kind of had the guts to push the button because they had this real command and control structure so you have to you have to even if it pains and hurts every single sinew of your body you've got to trust the people doing it to do it and get things wrong and then be and then and then and then make a different decision to to rectify the situation if that's what happens um and then i think the the, the why we why we've continued to invest versus, say, Agon, who, who didn't, we always knew from day one it was going to be a key part. Of, uh, it, 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 because it was going to be transformative, it transformed our architecture. So um, B was the brand. The mobile app was the customer interface of the brand. but underneath that, there's a thing called the IB platform, which is the service layer, which then uh, connects all the archaic systems with the funky systems uh, that we have in the bank. And there was just no getting away from the fact that 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 was our big play. Like to unwind that, it would have been, to be honest, it would have been impossible. Um, But I still say that the challenge of all that um, was then it was so important that then too many people had a vote and too many people had a voice. And then as soon as you move to then uh, decision making by committee, your old behaviours come back in progression gets stifled, innovation gets stifled and decisions start to be driven more by cost than they are by growth. So if
2: you've done all that in five years, which is immensely impressive, where are you five years from now?
1: Oh God, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to be in six months, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? Um, uh, three months ago, I'd have said very confidently that in five years time, Virgin money will be, the biggest growing, biggest growth uh, ha- fastest growing bank in Europe. Um, I'd have said we have the, uh, a game-changing, world-beating loyalty uh, platform, um, which our bank is part of, but which feeds through the whole of the Virgin group. I'd have said we would be perceived as a lifestyle brand that happens to be a bank rather than a bank trying to talk a little bit funky. Um, And then coronavirus hit (laughs) and things change, right? So Virgin Atlantic, uh, that's a challenge. Um, Loads of other Virgin brands across the globe have been hit by challenges. Richard Branson, who was a hero, is now being hit every time. Um, He gets negative comment every time he speaks rather than positive sentiment every time he speaks. Um, A lot of our investment decisions change. Um, So I think, I try not to. I suppose I try not to imagine too far ahead. Um, I try and think of uh, the problems that we're trying to solve. Uh, and I must admit, I can't believe I'm going to say this, so apologies. Um, for me, the the biggest difference I think I've made in the business and where I see things like innovation and proposition design work best in our business is not people having big grand ideas it's people who are so connected and talk so constantly with everybody across the organization that they're just able to connect the dots of lots of different things slightly faster um and an example of that i'll give we we in the last six weeks we have basically launched. we we, we were due to relaunch our entire bank uh, uh, this month Um, We're not doing that for probably another year now Uh, because a lot of our rebrand of the organization has changed. And in the last six weeks, we have pivoted completely in terms of what our brand stands for and how we deliver our brand experiences. And we've launched a service called um, it's called Money on Your Mind. And it's initially responding to coronavirus and people having loads of questions about money. And it's tapping into um, loads of our colleagues who suddenly weren't allowed to come into work. Um, had to work from home, but then couldn't actually work from home because they work in contact centres or they work in branches. And we've tapped into that and we've created this service which suddenly enables them to speak to customers freely with an opinion. We've removed scripts from them because you can't have an opinion without it. We've um, we've got loads of them fronting YouTube videos offering an opinion, heavily unscripted. So we've now transformed our risk environment because we'd never be allowed to do that. We're doing live interviews delivered by our frontline branch colleagues with experts in industry within 15 minutes of government announcements being made about what we're doing with lockdown and coronavirus, and suddenly you have this proposition underpinned by a platform that we've that we've not built. There was some we we, we did some kind of we had a little uh, feedback platform sitting over in the corner doing net promoter scores, and we've gone. I wonder if we just took that and just shifted it by five degrees, what it could enable us to do. It's now because it is now the cornerstone of our brand. Like if you're in five years time, money on your mind will be a separate business. (laughs) It's, you know, six weeks. And I think that, and that's not somebody sitting down and having a grand idea and going, what can we do to have a hero response to coronavirus? It was me and a couple of other people just connecting a few dots and um that for me is the most that if, if there's one thing i've learned throughout this whole experience and working with the likes of market gravity it's that that's it help people help people to connect the little things uh and it's amazing what grows from it
2: one of the things we've been so like, our goal for as we've gone through these conversations with people like yourself is then they like turn that into sort of opportunities and concepts that Jordan Julia and their team can go and take on and um starts to create what the future of OMAS might be. And like there's a couple at the top of the list. So like one being we've called it a challenger pension. Mm-hmm. Um, so being like you could take the 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 core competency of the asset management that OMAS have and create a front end layer onto onto something like that. And then the other being um something around like a bank for retired people so like everyone goes and creates a digital bank and goes like, we must get younger, more affluent customers mm-hmm. and they don't go old people are rich and they've got money. Then they're going to spend money. And there's like an interesting mm-hmm. business. Model there. Um, Like how have you found like, as you've gone through and like B was obviously designed to target younger urban customers because Clydesdale yeah. and Yorkshire bank didn't have any of them. Um, now you have virgin money. Like how do you find it in terms of continuing to grow and evolve that proposition around, niche or like interesting underserved segments that aren't necessarily the ones that the Monzos and the Starlings go after because they're the sort of cliched target market.
1: Yeah. I mean, so in in the UK, for example, if you look uh, there's a, there's a, the, the the building society, uh, the building size, the biggest building society in the UK is nationwide. And they've basically done, they, they've looked, they've looked at and said, everyone else is going after youngsters. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go for the old market, thanks. Because hey, that, that they've basically turned the negative of them being a building society and they've flipped it on its head and said, hey, being a building society is quite good. Just come and give us all your money, because <laughs> you're the ones who've got it, and 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 that's that's exactly what they've done. And so it can, it can work really well for us. Um, we needed to you know, be and also virgin money. In a lot of respects, we uh, needed to reduce the average age of uh, the customer base but we also wanted that value. So our our prime target segment was kind of your mid-30s to late 40s, maybe early 50s. Um, Probably got quite a lot of heavy outgoings, uh, but hopefully have good earning potential. Now, we're not alone in targeting that. That's where a lot of the bigger banks in the UK go for. It's not what Monzo and Starling go for. And I suppose that's why we've got that value versus volume thing uh, going on. One of the great things about our brand um, as Virgin money. A lot of people think of Virgin as being quite a young brand, but it's 50 years old this year. Um, so actually it plays best into that um, target segment. Um, but what I would say is a constant challenge I face into with customer segments and targeting is we're always too broad. Like we basically split the UK, the whole of the UK, 66 million people into five segments. You're like, how do you target anybody's needs on that? It's like, I want to target 15 million people. What? Um, so I'm constantly fighting to try and little niches and to try and break people away from um, natural. Per- what, what's the perception of this segment? Like, you go, uh, somebody who we would class as an established affluence customer, right? That's one of the names of the segments. And people go, oh, established affluence. They've got a lot of money because they're established affluence and they're probably 50 and, and they're starting to gray. And you look at the sub segments and you look at the sub sub segments and you go, well, within that group, you've got um, founders of startup companies who've made a shitload of cash and they're very, very entrepreneurial and they're very young. And you know what? The main thing that characterizes them is they're so focused on their business that they have not got a clue about how to manage their own money. Um, They don't have time to think about it and they just want something funky, right? And then you go to completely other end of the spectrum and you have um, Doris who's 70 years old and has paid off her mortgage and her husband has died, but she's got his pension that's been cashed in and she's got 500 grand sitting in the bank and she doesn't care about digital. And you go, those two populations exist within the same cluster, right? So... A constant challenge is to find those niches. Um, and I think for me, and I think what the likes of Monzo do very, very well, is they start by targeting the niche and then see how many, how their proposition will bleed into other customer segments. Whereas where a lot of my bank starts, and I have to fight against this, they start with the broad segment and then try to find arguments for how it could appeal to that niche. And guess what? One's, success, one's really successful on volume, um, and, that, and that's Monzo. So I think I don't mind that kind of tension, to be honest. And I think, um, again, you'll be familiar with things like personas and persona mapping and stuff like that. I do find personas helpful, but to a point. Um, I think for me, there's a range of techniques. So I I like personas. Um, I like my own perception of the world i find that helpful um i like everyone else's individual perception of the world you know i'm a i am a customer as well um i like having customers in the room uh both to create ideas to challenge ideas um i don't really like going out and asking them their opinion on something that i've already created because it's quite a false opinion that they've given but i like having them in the room um and i like i like I like throwing mud at the wall, <laughs> um, I really do. I just like throwing lots of stuff at the wall and, and, and seeing what sticks. And it's amazing, five years down the line, how nobody in this bank seems to remember all of my missteps, and I've made a lot of missteps. Um, I seem to only make, I, I seem to only do really good things. That's because people forget the errors. <laughs> um, so yeah, throw a lot of stuff at the wall. And, and, and I tell you what, and, I, and, and then, Sorry, back to boring template stuff. And then if there's one tool to help my thinking um, that I find more useful than anything else, it's a thing called the, a lean canvas. Um, so I uh, when we've been in forced innovation sessions, and I smirk when I say that, I hate having to sit down, really hate with a passion having to sit down and get my ideas into a lean canvas in five minutes. I hate doing that. I really really hate it. It can be helpful. It I can also find it unhelpful. Other people find it really useful. But I absolutely love taking a raft of ideas and virtually going sitting in a room with this template of a lean canvas and trying to think it through logically. Joe, how how would you describe this in one sentence if you were in a CEO if you can't if you can't pitch it pitch this in a sentence go away it's not going to work. And then what are the 10 reasons Below that sentence, that really make you believe in this, and then and then okay, they're the ten things. But why does a customer believe in it? Why does the bank believe in it? And um, and then how do and 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 then on, on our style of lean canvas, we would look at then um, and then what does it look like when you launch it? What does it look like in th- six months? What does it look like in twelve months? Because it just forces you to both think about it, but also think about how you deploy it in its simplest way and then the final thing we would uh, it would always force me to do is um i would look at the doability and doability could be technical or it could be risk or it could be culture um and that's what you think of it it's not you going and doing a huge assessment Uh, it's how doable do you think this is um how commercial do you think this is and how lovable do you think this is um and ne- and then the final part of it was we never, ever, 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 ever averaged out those three scores because average never wins. So it's much better to have something that's amazingly commercial, but not particularly lovable, like knowing it's commercial but not lovable, than it is having something that's averagely commercial and averagely lovable because then nobody will buy it and it won't make much money even if they did. And it's better to have it incredibly lovable and not commercial because at least you've then got the volume and you can solve the problem of how you make it commercial later, right? Uh, And then your doable thing, you can always break down with these, what's the three-month, six-month, 12-month, two-year version of this? I always found the Lean Canvas incredibly powerful to distill the idea and then the final part of it, help you pitch it. Because Mm -hmm. the best people to pitch an idea – and when the hearts and minds of your senior stakeholders it's not Ian it's not another consultant it's not it's not even a customer it's the people inside the organisation showing that they really believe it because they talk the language of the organisation there you go
2: I think that's
1: monologue (laughs) number 52 (laughs) concluded.
2: I think that's one of your best monologues mate I've 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 not been subjected to too many but that's the yeah, yeah. one with the good ones strong yeah. finish um, I'm conscious of time and thank you so much to, uh, to take like an hour out at the end of a busy week to, to share this with, uh, with these guys this has been excellent thank you so much yeah fantastic uh,
1: thank cool. you Thanks,
0: we hope you enjoyed our chat with David and learning about the journey from old bank to B to virgin money and the many lessons learned along the way We look forward to next time.